0: Heavenly Father, we are grateful for how you have softened our hearts and turned them to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for initiating a relationship with us. Thank you for how we see in the lesson tonight how you protect your people. Um we also see, Lord, your judgment when people rebel against you and reject you. Lord, we're just grateful that, um, that you give us chances and that you're patient and you're kind and you love us. I pray tonight for each one of these women that they would learn exactly what you would have them learn tonight. I pray for Anne that she speaks your truth and that our hearts would be just open to the powerful truth. And through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would transform us and change us more into people who are like you. We're grateful for the opportunity to study your powerful word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Gigi.
1: Uh, yeah, it is, really, it is great to see every one of you tonight. We were praying just a little while ago, like it was so loud. I was like, this is kind of like that hailstorm um, in our lesson this week. It kind of sounded that way. And, Anyway, um, so let's get started into some more plagues. I know that's just what you wanted. Um, Okay, anybody know who that is? Well, I don't know if there are any mixed martial arts fans in here, but if you were a mixed martial arts fan, you would know Rhonda Rousey. She is 28, and she is the most dominant MMA fighter ever in the sport. Um, She was recently named the most dominant athlete alive. Got some other pictures of her in action here. Um, She has never lost a fight, and her fights tend to be over in a minute or less. Do you have some? Uh, the next slide that shows some more about her? There she is. Uh, Rolling Stone says, with her, it's like, how fast is she gonna win, and how's she gonna do it? Rhonda's one in a million. Now, I like it when my team wins, so I'd like for Rhonda to be on my team. Now, I know there are some people that like these like really exciting football games where you're like, this goes back and forth the whole way, and then your team wins in the last second. Not me. I like for my team to dominate from the very beginning. A lot less stressful. That's what happens in Exodus this week. This is a contest. It's God taking on the gods of Egypt. So it's a contest, but really it's no contest, is it? So as Judy said last week, the Egyptians had a lot of gods, probably about 80 major gods, and most of them were connected with nature in some way, the sky, the land, the water. I thought it was really interesting, just all the things Judy told us last week about those gods. Um, I really learned some things about those. So those first plagues that we saw last week, they involved the Nile and frogs and flies and animals. It was like things in nature. But this week, it got personal. God is ramping it up. So here's the story. So when we start this week, the score is God five, gods of Egypt zero. Then we got to the sixth plague, it was the boils. And so it says that God told Moses and Aaron to take this soot from a furnace and throw it up in the air. And when it landed, everybody in Egypt broke out in these gross, like festering, nasty boils. And so one thing I read said that in the Egyptian religion, they would have these sacrifices and they would take this soot or ashes and throw it up in the air. And if it landed on you, that was kind of like a blessing. Do you see the irony here? Like instead of blessing, they got boils. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I thought one pimple was going to ruin my life. So if you didn't think about it, like, oh, just all over. And when you're miserable like that, you want somebody to sympathize with you. But here there was nobody to sympathize with you because everybody had it. And it says the magicians could not even stand before Moses. Cause they had it too, and, you know. When we think back to last week. The magicians were able to duplicate some of these plagues. You know, it, that is ridiculous. Like all this devastation, they're like, "Oh, I can devastate even more." Like if they were really any good, they would make it go away, right? And if these magicians had anything, they would be healing themselves first. So, if you're one of those Egyptian people. Our lesson kind of asks us to think about how would that have felt to be one of the Egyptians? Well, if you were one of the Egyptians, you would be turning to your gods, right? So you're like, where were they? There was a Sunu who warded off disease. There was Serapis, god of healing. Imhotep, god of medicine. Where were they? God is saying... I am the Lord who has authority over illness and disease and over your body. So it was God six, gods of Egypt, still zero. Then the seventh plague, the hailstorm. In it, we see tremendous devastation, and we see this Pharaoh who cares nothing for his people. Did you notice? He doesn't care anything about them. Their life, their world is falling apart. He could not care less because his heart is hard. He's not open to hearing anything Moses says. He's not open to changing his actions. But you have to think, you know, he must have believed at some level that what what Moses was saying was true. It wasn't like he was going, oh, this stuff is ridiculous, it's not gonna happen. He knew it was. And like he would say, hey, Moses, pray to your God so it'll stop. Well, he must have thought if Moses prayed to his God, it would stop. So it wasn't that he didn't believe anything Moses said. He just had that agenda that he wasn't gonna change no matter what the facts were. That's a hard heart. Don't follow a leader who has a hard heart. If you look around our world today, there are a lot of leaders that have hard hearts. They can see, they can hear the facts, but they're not gonna change their minds. Let's learn from that. So there's a lot of destruction with this hailstorm. Okay, she, the god of the atmosphere, there's nut, the sky god, and mutt, the sky goddess. Are they on vacation? Where are they? God says, I am the Lord who has authority over the forces of nature and over your crops. But did you notice, too, that all that was going on in Egypt, but over in Goshen, it was kind of like a nice day, I guess, There was a difference, and if you were the Israelites, do you think you would have started to have a little bit of hope? Like, maybe, maybe God is really gonna rescue us. Here we leave it. God, seven. Gods of Egypt, zero. Eighth plague, the locust, Just more devastation, more gross bugs, Everywhere, Millions of them. So it's intensifying. I remember when I played team tennis, if we would get a little bit ahead, which was very rare, but if we would get a little bit ahead, we'd always like, okay, we're going to press on and seal the deal. That's when you really press in. It's when you start pulling ahead. So these nobles at this point are like, hey, Pharaoh, just let him go, okay? And Pharaoh decides to offer a bargain because it's like, hey, guys, I'm trying to be reasonable. It's like, the men can go, but you can leave everybody else. Okay, there was Nepri, the goddess of grain, Osiris, god of the crops, Mem, god of harvest. Like, hello, where are they? And God is saying, I have authority over the animal kingdom, over your crops. Like, locusts even listen to me. It's God ate, Gods of Egypt, still zero. And then finally, that plague of darkness. There was no warning on this. It was sudden, total darkness. It says it was a darkness that could be felt. I don't know exactly what that means, but you know, sometimes when you turn off the light at night, when you're all cozy in your bed and then it's dark, you're like, that's a comforting dark. But this was not, it was a disturbing kind of dark. So this plague was definitely aimed at kind of the God of all gods for the Egyptians. Re, ra, re, you might see it a lot of different ways. I'm gonna say re, ra, ra, the sun god. And so Pharaoh was kind of identified himself with this sun god. He was like, I'm kind of like the, human manifestation of this God. So, you know, he and Ray were just like this, he thought. And, um, you know, if you saw that sun god of Egypt, I thought, I think I've even heard of him like in Egyptian mythology back in high school, Ray the sun god. There was a daily hymn they sang or said to Ray, and it said, "'Hail to thee, beautiful Ray of every day, "'who rises at dawn without ceasing.'" Rises at dawn without ceasing. I'm like, not today. Pharaoh's response, like, had another bargain to offer, didn't he? He was like, okay, this time all the people can go, but you can just leave the livestock. You know, he's trying to do this deal where it's going to be on his terms. And then Pharaoh tells Moses, just get out. Moses like, you want me to go? I'm gone. So we leave Pharaoh right there. Pharaoh's got to be saying, Hey, Ray, you're going to come through, aren't you? We leave Pharaoh in darkness and in silence. That's the story. So, what is God trying to do here? He is trying to dominate this contest so that there will be no doubt that he is the Lord. Now, as you're reading through Scripture, when you read through these chapters, a Bible study tip, if you see a word or phrase repeated over and over, you should notice that. So, um, in this group of chapters, starting with three all the way till next week, one phrase you'll see over and over is, so that you will know that I am the Lord. He says it to Pharaoh, so that you will know that I am the Lord. He says it to the Egyptians, so that you will know that I am the Lord. And he says to Moses and his people, so that you will know that I am the Lord. So if we go back to chapter three, where uh, God approached Moses with the burning bush, and part of what Moses says, he's like, well, God, who should I tell them that you are? And God answers, you remember? I am who I am. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Then in chapter five, the first time Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, what's the first thing Pharaoh says? He's like, who is the Lord that I should obey him? He asked the question. He didn't even know what he was saying, and he wasn't, didn't really want to know who God was. But he kind of prophetically was asking the most important question that anybody could ask. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? So in all of these chapters, that is the question that God is answering. Over and over, he says, I am the Lord. He says, I'm doing this so you'll know that I am the Lord. I'm doing this so you will know that I am the Lord. So God uses the plagues to judge Egypt's sin and to save his people so they will know that he is the only one true God. I don't know if you've been thinking this and we've been going along, but I'm like, why did God do it this way? Our uh, Hunter, who's two and a half, like his main repeated word these days is, why? So would be like, Hunter, get down from that ladder. Why? We're going in the car. You have to wear clothes. He's like, why? Hunter, you can't eat that off the floor. He's like, why? So those are the kind of conversations I have all the time. But I ask why too. I was probably that kid. So I'm like, okay, I get it that God was trying to rescue his people. But why did he do it this way? Didn't you think instead of hardening Pharaoh's heart, he could have softened it? I mean, God can be glorified through somebody's disobedience or their obedience. Yes, he can use people's disobedience, but he could have used his obedience. It seems like it would have been a lot easier. Proverbs 21:1 says, A king's heart is like streams of water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. You know, I'm, I'm always trying to suggest ways that God can do things in my life. I hope you don't do that. But God could have just spoken a word, they could have gotten out, or or God could have just delivered this like knockout punch. He could have been like Ronda Rousey, like one and done, but he didn't. And he knows that. In chapter nine, he says, by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But he doesn't really do it like that. He just ramps it up. You go, why prolong this? Why so many plagues? You know, scholars say that this whole thing probably lasted many months. Well, the Lord does this to show his power, his power in judgment and his patience. He was really patient to leave no doubt. Yeah, he could have done it a different way, but do you think it would have had the impact Would have had the impact on Pharaoh. Would it have equipped his people with that strength, that depth of faith that they needed when they were going to leave Egypt? I don't know. I mean, if it had been just this one thing, they could have said, it was kind of a fluke. Like, you know, anytime somebody might beat Ohio State or Alabama, it would just be a fluke. But God is making sure that they know he's totally in control. It wasn't going to be God one, gods of Egypt zero. It was going to be God ten, gods of Egypt zero. So something we learn from these chapters is that God judges sin, but he saves people. Did you see this one event, the plagues, has different results? If you're Pharaoh and if you're Israel, God judges Egypt he saves Israel. God's so big that he can use one thing for many purposes for many people. That's what he's doing here. I think the gospel is kind of a similar thing. Like the gospel judges some people and it saves others. Just the aspects of the gospel, the exclusivity of Jesus and the fact that we're saved when we believe, it's not through something we do. Like, for some people, that is wonderful, great news of salvation. It is the power to save. And other people, it just offends. So, what is it for you? What is the cross? Is it saving you or judging you? 1 Corinthians one eighteen says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. God doesn't change. He wants all people to know that he is the Lord, and they will. Scripture says that someday every knee will bow. Some will bow in reverence. Some will bow in judgment. God judges sin, but he saves his people. So this passage reminds us that God takes sin really seriously. Pharaoh is a bad guy who does bad things to God's people. And God's like, hey, I take it seriously when somebody messes with my people. I am not okay with it. Pharaoh's heart was hard. He wasn't going to listen to the truth. Is there an area of your life where your heart is hard toward God? Hard hearts lead to hard times. It will not go well with you. And so God does this big dramatic thing because he's taking sin seriously. And it's not just the Egyptian sin that he hates, like he takes our sin seriously too. You know, we go, well, okay, I'm a sinner, but I didn't do anything like Pharaoh. And we rationalize and justify and minimize our sin. And God says, no, I take your sin seriously. In fact, your sin is so bad that you'll be separated from me forever because of it. That's why we need Jesus. Our sin is not okay. Sin must be judged. Our sin is worse than we can imagine, but God says, I love you more than you can imagine. He sent Jesus to experience that judgment that was meant for you and for me. And if you believe that God did that for you, you will never experience his wrath. Never. God judges sin, but he saves people. Okay, this is not this contest between the good guys and the bad guys. It's not like the Egyptians were bad, but these Israelites, they were so good. That's not what this stands for. He doesn't save them because of their good deeds, because they were good. You know why he saved them. He rescues them. He saves them because they're his people, and he promised he was going to do it. God is faithful to his people, and he is faithful to his promises, and he hasn't changed, and that is so encouraging for me. He's going to be faithful to me not because of anything, not because of anything I do or don't do. He's faithful because he's faithful. He can't be anything else. God judges sin, but he saves people. So through these plagues, he's saying to them, like, I want you to know, I want you to really, really know that I am your Lord. I want you to know my power to save that you're not gonna know if I did this any other way. Have you ever thought that that might be why he allows all kinds of things in your life, the great things and the bad things? So you'll really know. We look at him when something's going on, we're like, why? Why does it have to be so hard? But think back, think back on a time where you could say, man, I really knew that God was God at that time. What would it be? If I asked you, you'd probably tell me about some really hard time in your life and how God rescued you from it. It's just that way. <laughs> if you ask me, like, when did you really know that God was God? I might tell you about my four miscarriages. I might tell you about when my husband needed a kidney transplant. I might tell you about when our daughter wandered far, far, far from the Lord and the way God showed up. God often shines the brightest against darkness, He just does. So what might God be doing in your life to really show you who he is? So that you'll say, God, I know that you're the Lord. I know that you're my security. I know that you're my strength. I know that you're my provider. I know that you're my rescuer. Because we need to know that stuff when we live in this crazy world. Knowing that he's the Lord leads to living like he's the Lord. So we look back at Pharaoh and Pharaoh was trying to negotiate and bargain and trying to do some kind of compromise. And did you wonder, like, do you think that was tempting to Moses? Was he tempted to compromise? Like, I'm sure I would like fold it on the first one. Like, oh, leave the women and children. Okay, just anything to make this stop. And especially on that last one where um, Pharaoh's like, okay, The people can go, but you can leave the livestock. I'm sure I would have taken that one to go, God, look, I got them out. Like leaving the livestock behind is really not that big of a deal. But like Nika said a few weeks ago, and like your curriculum said, partial obedience is not obedience. The world is always tempting you and me to compromise. Always. And we go, yeah, I mean, I come to this Bible study, but I don't trust God with my money. Yeah, I serve with children on Sunday mornings, but I don't trust God with my dating relationships. And there's no point in knowing God's word if it doesn't change you. So let's look at Moses. In chapter 3, back with the burning bush, we see Moses kind of argue, trying to bargain with God. But here, he doesn't argue anymore, does he? I mean, they go back to Pharaoh over and over when Pharaoh could have ordered them killed at any moment, and they knew it. So do you see? Like, he's not bargaining On that last one where um, Pharaoh said, okay, people can go, but leave the livestock. And I had never noticed this before, what what Moses said. He's like, no, we're not going to leave anybody behind. He said, not a hoof. And I thought, oh, I want to kind of pick that up. That when I'm being tempted to compromise, that I can think, nope, not a hoof. So Pharaoh's heart was getting harder Moses' heart was getting softer. Did you see that? Is your heart soft or hard toward God? What would that even look like for you? Like a hard heart is skeptical of what God says. Like kind of not sure if we can trust what he says. And a hard heart is going to have these areas of life that that we're going to go, okay, God, you can have all this, but you can't touch this. Now, a soft heart is eager to hear what God has to say. Looks to God and go, God, show me what to do because I want to do what you say. So what's the difference in those approaches? I really think if you believe that what God says is best, if you believe that he really loves you, if he re- you believe he really cares about you, then you will be, you'll be eager to hear what he says. You know, when our hearts are soft toward God, he enables us to do hard things. A soft heart can actually make you stronger. So what do you think happened to Moses to change him? To me, it looked like just consistent time of watching what God was doing. He was talking to God every day. He was listening to God. He was immersed in the things of God. He was looking for what God was going to do next. Do you pay attention to what God is doing? Are you immersed in the things of God? Last week, I was cooking some carrots for dinner, and I thought about this. I was like, you know, those carrots kind of start out really hard and firm, and when you put them in that water for a while, they get soft, kind of like our hearts. If we are immersed in God, if everywhere we look, we're looking for God, then our hearts are going to soften And if we do those things, you're going to be less likely to compromise because you will see that compromise is stupid, to borrow from Judy. Being immersed in God's word will soften your heart. Doesn't that give you hope? It gives me hope. Where's your heart hard toward God? Ask him to soften it. So this was a contest where God was taking on the gods of Egypt. And we've talked a lot about their gods. What about your gods? God's taking on your gods too. You know, we say, well, I mean, it's ridiculous. We don't worship gods that look like the gods on that slide. Like those were ancient, ignorant people. We're not like that. But really, aren't they just a little more honest than we are? We have gods. They don't look like the ones on that slide. And God is taking on your gods. What are your gods? How would you know? A false god is anything you allow in the place God should be. Anything you allow in the place God should be. That could be a boyfriend. It could be a husband. It could be your looks. It could be admiration of your friends or what people think of you on social media. It could be children, it could be God, uh, your job, it could be comfort. So ask yourself these questions to identify what your gods are. What do you depend on instead of God to give you security? What do you depend on for your identity? What do you depend on to know you're okay? Okay. Is it how much you weigh? What your boyfriend said today? Is it how many likes you got on the Instagram post? What's your safety net? What do you have to have to be okay? What is that thing that if it were gone, it would not be well with your soul? Loss reveals what our gods really are. What will you go too far to get or to keep? Have you ever been in a relationship where all of your friends and everybody that cares about you is telling you, hey, this is not good. This is not good for you. But you think, no, they just don't understand me. They don't know him, they don't understand. And you rationalize because really your God is that you are, are not going to risk being alone. You'll go too far. So those things, those false gods, you notice they're not necessarily bad things at all. They're things we should care about. They're things, yeah, if those were taken away, we would be upset. We would. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is when you need those things in order to be okay. Okay. When you take a good thing and make it an ultimate essential thing, that's the problem. Even community can be a false god if we elevate it above God himself. A few years ago, my husband made a really bad financial decision. It was bad. And so we were kind of processing through all that. And, you know, financial security, that is one of the areas that can be my god. Um, I like that. And I mean, actually, I struggle with all those things I just talked about, but that one in particular. So where he's telling me he's sorry and shouldn't done that and all that stuff. And so then he goes, he looks at me, he goes, Ann, are you okay? And I didn't really even stop to think, but I said, you know what? I am okay. Because whether or not I'm okay does not depend on anything you do. You know, that was kind of a pivotal moment for me because I realized that I could be mad or sad or grieving, but I was still okay. Those things are not my gods. So when we read this, these chapters were like, frogs, locusts, like really? Like, how about a good earthquake or a tsunami? Like, I could relate to that. But we already know that God's choice of plagues was not random. Like, these were customized plagues. So every plague was specifically designed to challenge a specific God of their culture. It's like, we might not understand it, but they got it, no doubt. One of my favorite questions in the curriculum this week, it said, what kind of plague would he bring today to challenge your gods? That was a good one. Um, I know that's going to be great in your groups when you talk about it. I thought a little bit about it. I was like, okay, if your God is your looks, what if everybody's hair fell out? Or what if just your hair fell out? If your God is money, well, what if the economic system crashed? What if the dollar wasn't worth anything all of a sudden? If your God's technology, what if the internet crashed for a whole month? That would be terrible. What if your God is just your image with friends and on social media? Okay, what if all your inmost thoughts were posted on social media for everybody to read? Would that ruin you? Loss reveals what our gods really are. But God's saying, your gods are no match for me. It's loving and gracious of God when he shows us that our gods are no gods at all. That boyfriend that you depend on to know that you're beautiful or to know that you have value or that job that you depend on to know you're capable and smart. God says, I want you to know that those gods are not gods because they will fail you. I don't want you to depend on them. Those gods don't love you. I love you. What are you depending on besides God? The key question that was asked back in chapter five, who is the Lord that I should obey him? God says, I am the, the, the one and only God. And God says, I am your one and only God. He is the one and only God, not one of many. I looked at this survey, 2014, by Ligonier. It said 52% of Americans who identify as Christians say that some religions other than Christianity can lead to eternal life. That's the culture we live in now. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. All religions are are not the same. They're not all roads that lead to the same place. The opposite of God is not other gods. The opposite of God is no God. To say that all gods are the same means you really don't know much about any of them. They're not saying the same thing. They are saying diametrically opposed things. God is the one and only God. So in Exodus, we see God wage this epic battle against the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh to rescue his people. And later, Jesus is going to wage the most epic battle of all time over sin and evil and death to rescue you. That battle is already won, and it was won at the cross. But in the future, someday there's going to be another battle that Jesus will will wage. If you read through the book of Revelation, you would see some similarities between what's going to happen then and these plagues. Kind of interesting. But at the end of that battle, Jesus will dominate. Dominate. God is also your one and only God. He's not one of many. God will not share his glory. He wouldn't share it with Pharaoh and he won't share it with your gods. He's faithful to his people and he's faithful to his promises. God says, I care enough about you that I want you to know those other gods will fail you. I am your one and only God. I am the gracious, merciful God, your provider, your protector, your defender, your shield, the God that never gets tired of you, the God that loves to see you, the God that loves to hear from you, the God that thinks you are beautiful because he made you, the God that cares about you, the God that will never let you slip through his fingers, the God that has saved you once and for all, the God that will love you because of who he is, not because of anything you do or anything you do not do. The God who is your Alpha and your Omega, your beginning, your end. The God who is willing to send his son to die, who has gone to prepare a place for you so that you will live with him forever. God says, Those other gods are no gods at all. Those other gods will promise you everything but will give you nothing. Those gods will enslave you, but the God I am will set you free. Now, we left Exodus 10 this week in silence and in darkness. Pharaoh was there thinking, Ray, sun god, where are you? I'm gonna tell you the most embarrassing moment of my life so far. It was on a roller coaster. Um, This was at Fiesta, Texas of all places. But um, if you've ever ridden with me on a roller coaster, this is how I do it. I have to close my eyes the whole time and I have to scream as loud as I can the entire time. It's just how I do it. So if you've ever been with me on a roller coaster, you would not do it again. So we're on this roller coaster and so you know how, they, it kind of goes up slow. I can handle that part. So it goes up slow, and then it kind of gets to the top, and then it goes down. So it kind of goes up slow, and right there it gets to the top. So I start my scream. So I scream, and it kind of does that several times. You know, then it'll go up. I'll take a breath, and then I'll scream. And it, anyway, this did that a number of times. So it kind of goes up, and so it gets to the top, and I start my scream. And then in a couple of seconds, I was like, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> And so I kind of opened my eyes and actually we just pulled back into the station. So like all the people waiting to get back on the roller coaster are just watching me just freak out. So, um, of course my kids are like just wanting to get off and walk away and act like they don't know me. And they were like, mom, we thought you had like gone over the edge, which I kind of had. So my most embarrassing moment so far, I tell you that just because, um, This reminds me of a roller coaster. So these plagues, it's building and building and building and building. And it's gotten to the top on this ninth plague. So next week, we're going to look at one of the most significant passages in the entire Bible. Approach it with reverence. So Moses and Aaron left at the end of this chapter. They're never going to appear before Pharaoh again. Because God is going to come in and he is going to personally take over after this. It's about to go down. Don't miss next week. Will you pray with me? Lord, we praise you and thank you. You are the one and only God. Lord, thank you that you would reveal to us who you are so that we can know that you are worthy of our trust. Lord, I pray for all of us this week that you will soften our hearts, that we'll want to hear what you say. With We will let you give us strength so that we will not compromise in the face of all the things that try to make us compromise. Lord, as, as we encounter temptation this week, may we remember what Moses said, not a hoof. I pray for the groups tonight that just be powerful rich discussion lord that um answers questions that honors you lord i um, thank you for every woman in this study lord and that we are sitting here tonight in the middle of this crazy storm by no accident because you have something you want to say to us lord may we listen pray all those things in the powerful name of your victorious son jesus christ amen